Coming up on the Louis Diaz podcast. Everyone just piling into the back of trucks and flying down these windy roads to eventually get into the jungle and driving through the jungle to wherever the sites were. By that first day, I was like, yes, I made the right decision. This is amazing. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Louis Diaz podcast. Every day, I come across some of the most incredibly fascinating and authentic people from all walks of life. And together, we're inviting you in to be our special guest as we take you through some of their amazing experiences, adventures, and journeys. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. All right, everyone, take two. <laughs> and you won't get that because we didn't record any of the other bit. Um, but I want to welcome everyone to another episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. Today, I've got a really special guest. Um, like all my guests, I suppose. Her name is Belle Leslie. She is an archaeologist. Today, Belle is going to take us on an incredible journey. Her first ever archaeological excavation in the jungles of Belize. That's right. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Gosh, when I had this idea to kick off this podcast, I never thought I'd actually be speaking to like a real life archaeologist and have <laughs> this like crazy jungle experience and adventure. And it's like, um, it's like I've actually got to pinch myself even just being here. So it's a very cool project that you have started. Yeah, thank you. And it's really great to have guests like yourself with such an incredible life experience who really just open your arms and your heart to coming on board and sharing your story. Well, yeah, it's awesome to do it. I'm nervous, but hopefully that first little bit that <laughs> didn't record will have warmed me up a bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually recording now. so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, firstly, I, I kind of want to sort of give the audience a bit of context as to sure. where we are. So where are we? We are in my backyard in Clifton Hill. I've lived here for five years and it's a beautiful evening. So yeah, you might hear some birds or some dogs yapping next door. <laughs> yeah, it's such a beautiful spot and we're sitting under this really beautiful tree and um, there was this amazing little bird that flew overhead before that um, I asked if it could come back in 20 <laughs> minutes. So I think maybe in 15 minutes we'll, we'll hear it again. Yeah. Because it was about five minutes ago. Definitely. But you, said, you mentioned you've been living here five years. Yeah. And so when I think of an archaeologist, like a lot of people would think of, because we all watched Indiana Jones when we were kids, Yeah, um, we think of people who are on the road and traveling a lot. So living somewhere for five years doesn't sound like something that people would associate with an archaeologist. Well, you've got to have a home base. And I've also been studying for a lot of that time. So I go and do my adventures or my work and this is where I come back to. Yeah. Is it nice coming back here? Yeah, I love it. I wouldn't have lived here for five years if I didn't like it here it's home yeah for now anyway it's one of the homes <laughs> how does someone get into archaeology um so i have a bachelor of archaeology which not that many universities offer anymore often you have to do a bachelor of arts and major in archaeology or classics or something like that um, and then do either honors or masters and that's really to work in commercial archaeology, which is what I'm doing at the moment, which just basically means working in construction and development. The other avenue you can take is to stay in research, which means working as an academic. And that's more where you'll do overseas excavations. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to kind of do a little of column A, a little of column B, hopefully forever, <laughs> to see if I can make that work. Because the commercial side of things is awesome, but 
yeah, I love getting overseas. Mm. Yeah, cool. Um, like I introduced to the audience earlier, you're going to take us on this story that is so cool to even just read that one liner out loud. Your first archaeological expedition to the jungles of Belize. Yeah. Where did that story start? Yeah, so I, after years of traveling, finally realized that I wanted to study archaeology while my mum was terminally ill. And after she got the terminal diagnosis, we went to Cairo because she had always wanted to see the pyramids um, and she wanted to go before she got too sick to do anything. But also my granddad is an archaeologist and he lives in Cairo. So we were going over there to see him as well. We just did Cairo and Luxor and it was being there and being with him and having him show us around his Cairo where he's been living for years and getting excited about the smallest little particular stone in an archway or whatever it was that I was like, oh shit, this is what I wanna do. Like, So it was actually amazing as well before she passed away for her to be able to see me finally find something that I wanted to study. Um, yeah, but that trip definitely holds a massive place in my heart and is kind of a pinpoint of where everything changed for me. Mm. You find yourself, I suppose, eventually on a flight somewhere yeah. and you're going to end up in Central America. Yeah. So because I went for a few years, sometimes it's hard for me to remember which things happened on which trip. But for sure, that first trip, I went to New York first. That first trip, I think I went to Nashville as well, just for a laugh, <laughs> which was awesome. I'm not into country music, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and then ended up at the tiny little airport in Belize and on the first day everyone meets at the airport and then you get an old American school bus the few hours to where the campsite is yeah yeah it sounds like something out of Jurassic Park <laughs> you know like they fly somewhere in a chopper and they get on these these transports and you know go and meet the people at the excavation yeah is it like that yeah it is it's a little bit surreal but it's also so exciting especially because I had never done any archaeology before other than in the classroom so yeah it was super super exciting. Hmm. So how long had you been studying to this point? Probably just less than a year. Okay yeah. So is someone able to sort of get themselves into going to excavations? Yeah. Less than a year into their studies? Well, with a lot of international field schools, you can actually go and do them even if you're not studying. So most of the people at the Maya Research Program dig, there would be the staff members, students who were doing their PhDs or masters on something to do with that particular excavation, then just general students, either for the first time or people who were coming back because they loved it. But then also volunteers who've come from wherever in the world just because they're interested in archaeology in general or Mayan stuff or whatever. So there's actually a lot of digs around the world where you can go and have the experience without actually studying. You don't get paid for it and often you do have to pay to do it but you still get the chance to experience it which I think is really cool and not many jobs have that option. Yeah, I'm sure there's people Googling, like, how do I do that like, <laughs> right now? Yeah. Um, because that's certainly news to me. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that never knew that you could just sort of buy your way into yeah. a dig. Yeah, you can. 
And I definitely recommend the Maya Research Program. Basically, the guy that runs it, Dr. Tom Gudigen, he runs it with his wife, Colleen, who's also an amazing archaeologist. He had first gone down to Belize because he was doing his PhD on it. And he thought, I'll go down for a few seasons, three or four years maybe, and that'll be it. And they ended up realizing that what they were excavating was a city, not a little complex. And so now the dig has been running for, it's over 25 years. Unbelievable. Because I suppose when you're digging something up like that, you've got to do it really carefully. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess 25 years to dig up a city kind of makes sense in that context. Yeah. But I mean, what an incredible privilege to be part of, you know, something that's been going for so long. Yeah, it was awesome. And especially that first year, because... I've always drawn, art has always been a huge part of my life. And maybe a week in, I asked him if there was any chance I could stay back from going into the field one day and stay in the artifact processing room and draw some of the artifacts. And he he was like, can you actually draw though? Do you have anything you can show me? Because I fired the illustrator a few weeks ago and we've discovered the sixth ever found Mayan mural on a wall and I need someone to do a technical illustration of what's left of it. So I ended up doing that and then drawing some of their ceramics for their reports and that's how I ended up going back. Yeah, it sounds like you're not quite finished with that project. I'm definitely not finished. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like it's also not finished. <laughs> no, I think it's going to be going for a while. <laughs> um, but yeah, what an incredible talent to have that drawing, that art to uh, mix with your passion of archaeology yeah. as well. I have another friend who's an archaeologist in Melbourne and she's the same. She's always drawn everything. And we both say that we were born 30 or 40 or 50 years too late because archaeological illustration was a huge thing. But now, because there's so much more technology and so many different ways of capturing, whether it's artifacts or plans of sites, it still is required because you can't always rely on technology, but it's not needed the way it used to be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost probably a luxury now to have an illustrator. Yeah. But I mean, what a cool thing to be able to do. Yeah. So, I mean, getting back on track, we're on your first trip there, right? Yeah, so that first trip, I sat next to a girl on the bus and we ended up becoming really close and we ended up sharing a cabana. So we arrived to where the camp is and it's just uh, kind of all of these tiny little tin shacks peppered over the side of a hill and then there's a toilet and shower block and kind of a general communal area and the artifact processing area as well. And... Yeah, luckily the girl I was sitting next to on the bus, we shared a room and became really close. So that was, I guess, my first introduction to the whole experience. It was making someone who would end up, end up being a friend for life. And yeah. Somehow you seem to have these really monumental moments. I mean, we haven't even been talking for that long, but already it seems like these monumental moments I think in life are there to remind us that we're on the right track yeah totally um I think also I lived in a way that I would not always think about the consequences of the things I was doing and sometimes that works out for the best and sometimes it doesn't but yeah or another thing that happened 
over the course of my studies, maybe a year or two after my mum died, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So that sort of explained a lot of those decisions that I'd made, such as moving to New York with $400 in the bank, just sort of living by the seat of my pants, kind of going with the flow, doing things if they sprang into my mind. I think that for some of the negative things that come with various mental health issues, there are also really amazing things that come come with it as well. Mm. Yeah. In the sort of the write-up that you did prior to recording, you mentioned that there's something really beautiful along those lines that you're almost grateful um, yeah. for bipolar, for yeah. being able to sort of release you of your fear yeah almost. yeah like we've said like if I had any advice for anyone as far as getting a bit of adventure in their life or just life in general it's doing as much as you can without fear and yeah I don't think everyone has that luxury of not having fear and certainly after I was first diagnosed and I went on meds for a few years and that kind of changed my whole experience of everything I mean meds good or bad change stuff for you and I made the choice to go off them and so just the last year I've been getting back to who I was before um, but now with the knowledge of this in quotation marks disorder Mm. and just getting to know myself again Mm. yeah interesting yeah yeah Um, so contextually how is this affecting um, that part of your trip I think it was I mean, really just trying to take in everything as it happened because it was a totally surreal, something that I'd never experienced before. Then you spend the first couple of days at the camp kind of having inductions, I guess, into where everything is and what the whole project is about and the project's history. And then you get split into teams and you go for the first day to site, which is involves getting up at five I think breakfast is between 5 30 and 6 and then leaving at 6 30 jumping in the back of trucks and flying with no seat belts or just everyone just piling into the back of trucks and flying down these windy roads to eventually get into the jungle and driving through the jungle to wherever the sites were yeah totally surreal and by that first day I was like yes I made the right decision this is amazing (laughs) yeah it sounds amazing there's moments when I'm recording with people where I get goosebumps there hasn't been many recordings that I haven't got the goosebumps that was a goosebump (laughs) like just the image of of all these you know archaeologists yeah you know just thrown into the back of a truck yeah. getting tossed around yeah um holding the- on for dear life while whoever's driving is absolutely flying along these roads yeah in the context of being in a jungle right yeah so you're surrounded by wild yeah like is it tame there or is it wild no it's wild there's lots of creatures and creepy crawlies and everything even at camp like where our camp was was cleared of forest basically but the cabanas were like open quickly put together I'll say with tin and wood just kind of slapped together so there's always creepy crawlies in there we had a massive green tree frog huge living in our room one year massive scorpions 
I had one running on me while I was half asleep one night and I remember kind of hitting it off and hearing it slap against the tin wall and down. Um, snakes, Fertilant snakes, insane, massive centipedes, caterpillars, tarantulas, one million mosquitoes. We have a few mosquitoes out in my backyard tonight, but nothing compared to thousands of mosquitoes in the jungle um, and monkeys, spider monkeys and howler monkeys. Um, so basically, if you haven't heard of a howler monkey before, they used the sound of a howler monkey as the sound of the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. And I'll play you this and you'll hear why. So what you're going to play us now, is this actually footage that you captured yourself? Yeah. So you were videoing a howler monkey? No, no, because they were up in the trees. Um, So this is just kind of, I'm just kind of panning around what we were doing, Mm. but you can hear. Oh, you can hear them in the back, right? Yeah. I'll just make sure the volume's up loud. Oh, wow. That footage looks awesome. So you can see in the footage they've... um, we set up big tarps over, oh, I got a message on my computer. Damn you, technology. <laughs> I turned off my phone. <laughs> um, yeah, they set up tarps over where we excavate because it's Central America and there's normally torrential rain for an hour or two every day. Right. Um, I'll just see if this one, I don't know which one was the best video. Sounds so wide. Like I would be scared. It's terrifying. And it is kind of a hazing thing that they do. They don't tell anyone. So the first time it happens, the people who haven't been there before or been to that part of the world before are like... What the fuck is that? <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you probably think a T-Rex is coming for you. <laughs> yeah. Because you've exactly. seen Jurassic Park, but you've never been to Belize before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Incredible. And, and that footage looked amazing. I will try and um, get that off you so yeah, that people sure. can see that and, and you know, and put a, a face to the name, so to speak, yeah. with that video. But yeah, incredible stuff. So there you are. This is your first day? Yeah, so or at least within the first few days, the team that I was on was excavating a little residential complex and we ended up excavating a human burial and that was huge for me. Thinking about the fact that I'd chosen this as a job particularly being in a Central American country as a white person and excavating a burial in a house, basically, from someone that had been buried 800 years ago, who them, their family, would never have thought that people would be digging them up. So that was really confronting. It's an interesting thing about archaeology, especially because in order to excavate something, you're actually destroying it. But the, the really awesome thing about that 
project actually is that with the structures themselves, once they excavate them and record them, they actually bury everything again. So yeah, on this project, they put tarps over everything and then bury it in dirt and shrubs and trees and bushes so that it's protected until the next time it's going to be excavated and looked at or possibly never. Yeah. And that was something that I'd never even thought of before going on this particular job. And I thought that was really cool. Mm. Yeah. So what else does someone get up to when they're on these amazing expeditions do you have time off when you're going off doing things or is it 24 7 on site it's normal oh god i actually can't even remember if it was five i'm pretty sure it's working six days a week um that particular job because of that first friend i made and two other guys who the four of us became really really close and we like a lot of archaeologists really liked to drink so there's lots of running around causing trouble playing practical jokes getting drunk and falling down a hill there's lots of that going on as well yeah and that's i mean aside from the things I learnt about my interests and myself on that dig, those friends that I made were probably the best thing I got out of it. I will be friends with the three of them for the rest of my life. I made the decision, I can't remember when, it must have been three or four years ago, to go to Paris by myself for Christmas. And they all came. And we stayed in a, an apartment together for two or three weeks and would drinking wine out of bowls and running around Paris and I've visited them in the States a few times and you kind of forge these friendships when you're out in the middle of nowhere and doing this crazy physical work and kind of cut off from the rest of the world and you form these bonds with people that really do last forever. Um, they're probably listening. You know. <laughs> they might listen. <laughs> Do you want to give them a shout out? Hi, Ree. Hi, Connor. Hi, Carl. <laughs> yeah, that's really special. I mean, you know, this this podcast is, is evolving, I suppose. And it's funny to to sort of have come into it with one idea of, you know, these romantic notions about big travel and adventure and, you know, the real authenticity involved. Um, in those kinds of experiences but I mean like I think the things that give me the most goosebumps when people talk um, are stories like that are not the most basic right yeah it's like I made friends I made friends and that's I made it friends for life. <laughs> yeah and it's like, oh really and I get, I'm getting <laughs> emotional <laughs> um, but yeah it, it is that crazy context it, it's that out of your comfort zone kind of thing that you guys were doing yeah that sort of bound you I yeah. suppose yeah and also, I mean, also sharing when I mean, we were all studying archaeology as well and having that kind of common bond too, that you're all interested in this kind of ridiculous job, pursuing this ridiculous job that is amazing, but is also kind of a joke sometimes. Um, and yeah, discovering that there are other people out there like you, just as weird and just as interested in being in the dirt as a nine to five. Um, yeah, that was really fun too, realizing I wasn't alone <laughs> mm. in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So many incredible things that you say as well. And um, such a great way of sort of articulating the, um, the simplest, most beautiful things in, in life. 
um, like feeling like you're not alone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's a real pleasure to be sitting here talking to you. That's oh, for sure, and listening to the story. I'm just happy I'm not tripping over every second word. <laughs> I thought that's what was going to happen, and you were just going to be like, "Right, let's just forget this." <laughs> no, no, that never happens. Um, the beauty of people telling their stories is I don't have to talk. So. <laughs> That's true. Otherwise, there'd be a lot of tripping over. Pre-prepared. Pre-prepared. Oh, my God. Pre-prepared. I can't say pre-prepared questions. I did jinx myself. But I'm going to save you here um, (laughs) because uh, we did pre-prepare some questions. And I I love to do that um, to help people like yourself to um, remember, Yeah. if anything. Because it's one thing to sort of have a chat with someone and then remember. It's a whole other thing to have a mic put in front of your face Yeah. and then to have to try and remember. So the questions are, are sort of to help you. And you mentioned this really amazing trip to a, um, like an underwater sinkhole. Yeah. Scuba diving or something. And I'm sure uh, like the audience have to know about that. Okay. So the first trip to Belize, I had intentionally booked my flight a day or two later just to see if I could do something else. And there were a few other people that also had done the same thing. So we, we went back to the airport, got a taxi to the port and then a ferry out to one of the islands. And this is kind of my first experience really being on an island ever and we just had one night on the island and we didn't really do much other than drink and run around and one of our friends got arrested and we had to buy him out of a Belizean jail that's another story that was my first island story so the next year when I was going back as the illustrator I planned to go I think it was a week early and I went out to one of the islands by myself and I found a scuba school and I got my first certification doing that and then the third year was when I went out did the same thing went out a week early went out to one of the islands by myself and did this scuba dive at the blue hole which if you can google it immediately because it's this bizarre gigantic sinkhole and heaps of sharks Swam with a hammerhead, which is, I love sharks. Sharks my favorite animal. Hammerhead's in my top three. So that was, uh, that was amazing. And yeah, I got nitrogen narcosis. So it has a few different names. I can't remember what the other names for it are, but you basically feel high. And so I separated from the group and I was swimming upside down in amongst all these stalactites and one of the Belizean divers came and found me and kind of indicated to me that I was not okay. (laughs) And I was laughing and just like, oh my God, this is the most amazing experience ever, Uh, which it was. But then he had to do the rest of the dive next to me until we got a little bit further up. And then I kind of snapped back to it and was like, oh, wow, I really lost the plot down there for a little bit. Mm. So yeah, I love diving, but it's not something I will be doing ever without a super experienced diver with me because I didn't have to go very deep before I lost it. Sounds awesome though. Yeah, it was amazing. So have you have you looked at pictures of the blue hole? No, I haven't looked at pictures yeah, of the blue hole. But look, look it up, it's crazy. If I wasn't recording with you right now, I'd be Googling it. <laughs> as I'm sure everyone is Googling it right now, um, the blue hole. So it's one of your must-go-to must, must go to places. Yeah, for sure. And, and so when you're like, you know, off on field trips, do you often find little surprises around the corner like the blue hole and yeah as I've I mean as I've traveled more and as I've 
gotten slightly more organized in general i try and look up some things to do Mm -hmm. like i a few years ago i worked in south africa and so before that excavation i went to cape town by myself and went and did a great white cage dive and so i yeah find things i can do if i'm gonna be halfway around the world i might as well try and do a few extra things yeah man why not <laughs> Um, well, it certainly sounds like um, you're someone that likes to be exposed to the raw elements. Yeah, and that was that was a massive thing that, especially being in Belize, made me realise. I'm from the country originally. I'm from the bush. And I had lived in Melbourne, London and New York, kind of only in big cities. And it was the first time that I really realised that I need to not spend all of my time in cities, that whether I'm in the jungle or the desert or on a boat or underwater or up a mountain, like it doesn't really matter where it is, so long as I make sure that I get myself out there and away from regular life, Mm. that like in order for me to function and be happy, that that's something that I really, really need. Mm. And I think Probably, I mean, not everyone loves that stuff, but I think a lot of people need to get away from the real world and into the real world, Mm. you know? Sort of getting back to that first trip to Belize, and it might not even be the first trip because it sounds like they're kind of morphing into one. Yeah, they definitely have kind of smudged together in my memory. (laughs) What's kind of the, the significant moment where you had to sort of depart from the site? Was it the first one or the second one or the, the most recent? I think it was the last time I was there. It wasn't that I knew that I wasn't going to be going back anytime soon, but it was that by that point, the people, the other staff members, the other people who go every year, I had formed such a connection with that it was really sad. And I know that every time I've left there, it's been really sad for me because of what that place represents as far as me realising that I love being in the middle of nowhere, me realising that I'd made the right decision to study archaeology, me finding other weirdos who like the same stuff that I do. And that it was kind of the first part of my career journey that I was not going to be able to tell my mum because she had, she passed away, I think three months before I went the first time. So leaving is always really sad and not, that's not really about the archaeology. That's about the experience and the, and the people more than anything else. Yeah. So I guess here you are back in Melbourne um, and you're doing some work on a local project. Yeah. When do you think you're going to head back to Belize? So the the Maya Research Program uh, project runs for a few months in the middle of the year, which is the US summer. Um, so when the director, because he's a professor at the University of Texas, so they have obviously their long summer break in the middle of the year, and that's he spends three or four months there. So I'm hoping I can hand in my master's thesis before then and get back there next year. So hopefully seven months or so, I'll be able to send you a message and or a selfie in the jungle and say, hey, I made it back. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure everyone that's listening would love to know 
about where you are yeah, for in sure. that part of your journey. Yeah, cool. Um, because there's so much context and so many beautiful moments that you've shared with us today. Um, and I think it would be hard to be listening to this and not be like fully engrossed and, and not to be rooting for you. Go, yeah, get back there. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. So where can people find you? What's, what's the most appropriate um, platform to find some of the stuff that you're doing? Do you have a website that you contribute to? Or? My Instagram is at Miss Bell Leslie. Um, so yeah, feel free to follow me and or reach out to have a chat if you want to have a chat about archaeology or about mental health or about I don't know shoes I don't know (laughs) whatever um I'm super happy to chat to anyone about whatever uh yeah and I suppose as I I have a few projects that I'm working on at the moment and they'll yeah come up as I well finish my masters that's what I need to that's what I need to get done Mm. it's been a long time coming I need to just smash that out yeah, well, you know, I'll certainly be keeping an eye on what's happening in your life and, and be texting you and asking you how you are. Um, so, you know, if you send me any photos, I'll be sure to put them up on the Louis Diaz podcast, Instagram cool. and the Facebook page as yep. well so that um, people can sort of find you. And, and also all of our other guests that we've spoken to, um, you certainly have provided us with some really beautiful insight today and i think there's a lot of people out there um who would be really stoked to have been able to listen to someone who's just so authentic and real and knows the opportunities that life has for them oh thank you that means a lot (laughs) yeah well and to take advantage and how to take advantage of those yeah um you know because like you said you had four hundred dollars in the bank but that didn't stop you from going to new york yeah so yeah sometimes i do ridiculous things but they always at least end with a funny story (laughs) I remember one of the times I was visiting my granddad in Cairo we drove all the way to the airport and I looked at my phone and I realized that my flight was the day before and I had a panic attack in the car and he was just like don't worry about it we'll go back to my place we'll have a few G&Ts and we'll figure it out sounds like a great granddad yeah he's he's pretty good (laughs) amazing um, yeah, so look, I just want to give you a huge round of applause. Is there anything that we left unspoken of? I don't think so. Now that I've got started, I probably could waffle on forever about various anything. Honestly, but, I um, people could listen to you <laughs> for, for quite some time. Maybe we'll have to do a, um, a round two. Maybe I'll talk about South Africa or something like that. You know what? Every time I finish one of these recordings, I think about when's the next time <laughs> This is no exception. But yeah, look, it's been a real pleasure to be able to interview you today. And usually I finish this podcast, believe it or not, with like a round of applause. Okay. And that's just me clapping you okay. um, for being just such a wonderful guest. Um, this is going to be episode five for everyone listening of the first um, mini season, a five episode season of the Louis Diaz podcast. And I couldn't think of a more like exotic way of finishing it off. Um, but yeah, on three, two, one, I'm going to give you a round of applause. Do I clap too or no? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and um, yeah, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you for even asking me to do it. <laughs> three, two, one. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. To find out more about any of our guests and catch additional photos and content from this episode, find us on Instagram at Louis Diaz podcast.